Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we're, we're in a series of messages. We just started uh, last week. I called this kind of a mini-series. And uh, we're entitling this Just Say No. Nike said just do it, but we say just say no. And the Bible in Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Many people think that God's grace lets you sin. It says, go ahead and sin, you're forgiven. But the Bible says that what the grace of God does is it teaches us to say no, and it empowers us to say no to ungodly worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, salvation does not begin when you die. Salvation begins immediately when we receive Jesus as the Lord of our life. But uh, for time's sake, I'm just going to jump right in. Today's message is say no to unforgiveness. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Uh, Jesus said that it's impossible that no offense come. So in other words, every single person that ever listens to this message you are going to have an opportunity to become offended and have unforgiveness. Jesus said, it is impossible that no offense come. So, so this, is, is, this is something that every one of us can apply in our lives. And I want to start today's message in Luke, excuse me, Luke, in Mark chapter 11. Jesus has cursed a fig tree. The fig tree withers up from its roots. The disciples see the tree and say, Jesus, look at the fig tree that you cursed. And Jesus said, have faith in God. And literally, Jesus gives right here the most in-depth teaching on the subject of faith that is found anywhere in the Bible. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, or assuredly I say to you, that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith will come to pass, he'll have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say to you, what things soever or you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. Now, notice verse 25. Now, Jesus is still talking about faith, but he's talking about what hinders faith. Right? He says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven Forgive your trespasses. So Jesus begins to talk about unforgiveness. And the reason he puts it in here with faith is because unforgiveness is the biggest hindrance to faith. And notice Jesus said, whenever you stand praying. Other translations, whenever you pray. So this is something that every time we pray, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to check our hearts and make sure that there's not something against somebody in our hearts. So every time or whenever you pray, if you have anything, doesn't matter what it was, how horrid, how much it hurt, what happened. This is not saying it's not important. This is saying it's important for you and I to get it out of our hearts. Right? 
if you have anything against anyone. So it doesn't matter what it was and it doesn't matter who did it. So there's three things here in this verse that Jesus puts down as unconditional. Whenever, every time you pray, anything, doesn't matter what it was, anyone, doesn't matter who did it. It is usually the people that are the closest to us that are able to hurt us the most. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas comes and betrays him, he kisses him. And Jesus, this, this is somebody, it, it talks in the Psalms, how he's, he's Jesus' companion. And Jesus immediately just says, friend. He doesn't allow any unforgiveness. And Jesus is on the cross. And he prays and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When he teaches us to pray and what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. When Stephen, the first martyr, is being stoned to death, he imitates Jesus. And he cries out with a loud voice and he says, don't charge them with this sin. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. He's being stoned to death. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God is the gospel of forgiveness, right? And the church, that's you, that's me. We are to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, this is, this is a super, super important verse because it's probably the clearest place where it talks about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, people that often seem to have a problem with the Bible almost always refer to something in the Old Testament. Right? But I want you to listen to this. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. In the Old Testament, it talks about how your sins separated you from God, how sin made it impossible for you to have a right relationship with God. But in the New Testament, God is restoring the world to himself, and he no longer holds or counts men's sins against them because Jesus has paid the price for sin. They are, he has blotted them out. He said, this is the wonderful message that he's given us to tell others. I was brought up in a church, and I think many of you were, where regularly we quoted the Apostles' Creed. How many of you remember that? Lots of us, all right? And, and I, the Apostles' Creed is awesome. It's the oldest creed that the church has. In fact, we basically had the Apostles' Creed by the year 110. About 10 years after John the Apostle died, we had what we call the Apostles' Creed in its basic form that we have it today, right? And there's a line in there I want to remind you of. <clears throat> it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I would like to say me too. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's what we typically think. We think, yep, I get forgiven. But in the Apostles' Creed, when it's talking about the forgiveness of sins, it's talking about you forgiving others. That's what it's talking about, right? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not just I receive forgiveness of sins, but when somebody sins against me, just like Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, just like God forgives me, 
I forgive them. And this is not to trivialize any sin, any wrong, a crime, abuse, rape, murder, injustice that has happened. But there is, there is something that happens in us when we hold something against somebody else. It's in Romans, the 12th chapter, where it says not to avenge yourself, right? but to give place to God's vengeance. It says that you don't need to avenge yourself because God's going to do it. It says as much as is possible, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Don't try to get even, but rather give place to wrath for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now listen, different things can happen. Number one, the same God that forgave you because you asked for forgiveness and you received it, they can do the same thing and they can receive forgiveness. If not, there's a law of sowing and reaping, right? And they may reap what they sow in this life. But if they don't, listen, there is a judgment day. There is a judgment day where we will give an account of all the deeds that are done in the flesh. So we don't need to avenge ourselves. It says, therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So what the Bible is saying is don't perpetuate the cycle of unforgiveness, of evil. When evil is done, we return that evil with good. The disciple, one, one particular disciple came to Jesus, Peter, and said, how often should I forgive my brother that sins against me? Up to seven times. Now he thought he was being generous. And Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, some of you are doing your math of 490. And this is in a day. Right? So the, the disciples, they freak out. And Luke, is, he gives this account. He said, this is what the disciples said to Jesus. Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> now, it's a very important answer. Because here's what we understand from that that you don't forgive by feelings, you forgive by faith. It's not, well, I just have all these warm, mushy feelings about that person that stole from me and lied about me. And I just want to forgive them. That's what I want to do. Now, your flesh does not want to do that. Your flesh wants to do the opposite. So we don't forgive by feelings, we forgive by faith. It is an act of our will. It's something we do by faith. And then Jesus tells this story. He said, well, there's a certain king and he, he wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. This is like billions of dollars. And he says, uh, just give me time and I'll pay. I'll pay it all. I, I just want you to think about this. If you owed somebody $5 billion, would time help? <laughs> I mean, time is not going to help, right? But the, the master has compassion, the king does, and he forgives him his debt. But then he goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me. And the guy says, give me some time. How many of you with time, you might be able to handle 20. Okay. But he wouldn't. And he has him thrown in the debtor's prison. 
So when the master hears about it, he calls that servant back and he says, I forgave you that great debt. Shouldn't you have also forgiven your fellow servant his debt? And it's a picture of how we have done so much against God and God has forgiven us. So when somebody else does something against us, we should forgive them. And so the master says, take him and deliver him to the tormentors until he's paid everything. Well, there's no chance he's going to pay it all. But notice he said, deliver him to the tormentors. It's important that Jesus said this, and we're going to see who the tormentors are later on in this message. So we forgive by faith. But once we forgive by faith, that's not enough. In fact, there are four steps to total forgiveness and being loosed and free. Four steps. One is you forgive by faith. But faith without works is dead. That's right. So Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So Jesus said, once you forgive by faith, that's your, your, your act of faith, but you put feet to it, right? Because faith without works is dead. Your works are, you love them, you bless them, you pray for them, and you do them good. You say, how long do I need to do that? Uh, it depends on how long you feel bad about it. Right? There is literally somebody that I prayed for for five years. Five years. And this reminds me of a time years ago, Jeannie and I went to a conference in Seattle where Dr. Cho was speaking. Dr. Cho pastors a church of nearly a million people in Seoul, Korea, largest church in the world. And he said, he said, I have to pray four hours a day because I hate so many people. <laughs> he said, I got so many people I need to pray for. All right. Remember, Jesus said, love them, bless them, do them good, and pray for them. Now, if you will consistently, daily, Jesus said, every time you pray, you check your heart. And if you got ill will, you'd like, I wish they'd have a car back. If that's in your heart, you keep praying for them. As long as there's ill will, as long as there's that feeling there of your wanting retribution, you just keep praying. And the Bible talks about it this way. Paul said, enlarge your hearts. And what God will do, if you will keep praying, and God will enlarge your heart, and God will give you compassion for that person. Right? And at that point, you don't need to pray for him anymore. Right? But if the feelings ever come back, you need to keep praying. Right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. How many become defiled? Many. This isn't something that just affects a few people. Now, notice he said bitterness, unforgiveness, it's like a root. It's growing under the ground. But eventually, it shows up. Eventually, it breaks ground. The translator's New Testament says it this way, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. Right? Cause trouble and spoil whose life? Everybody's life. Now, here's what we think. 
we think this unforgiveness in my heart, I have it focused like a laser beam against this particular person. But unforgiveness is never like a laser beam. It's always like an atom bomb, right? There is all sorts of collateral damage. You don't realize what's happening in your heart and it affects your attitude. It affects your relationships, right? So what, what it's saying is that you cannot afford to hold something in somebody's heart, in your heart, against somebody. We need to stop that cycle of unforgiveness. Now, I really, I was thinking about this. I don't think I've ever heard a single pastor or Bible teacher teach uh, on this, these few verses that I'm going to read to you. I think it's the most unpopular verses in the New Testament. I've, I've taught on it several times, but I've never heard anybody else. So here we go. All right. Let's start with the 19th verse. Well, 18th. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, here's the part that you don't want to hear. For to this you were called. For to this you were called. So as a believer, the Bible says we are supposed to do good. People misinterpret the good that we do. They mistreat us for doing good. And the Bible says that's what you're called to do. That's your call as a Christian. Not to make sure everybody understands you, right? But to do the right thing and to have culture misinterpret what you do and reject you as a result. And the Bible says to this, you were called because Christ also suffered for us. Leave us an example that we should follow in his steps. How many of you know Jesus did no wrong, but yet he was rejected. He was despised. He was crucified. Now the Bible says he's our example. We're supposed to do right and be, be misinterpreted because of the culture that we live in, the world that we live in. And God says, I've called you to this and it pleases God. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. We'll read that last part again. Anger rests in the bosom of the fool. When this happens, 100% of the time, it's a result of unresolved conflict. It is because of unforgiveness in somebody's heart. Now, what they think is, I'm just upset with that one person. They did me wrong. But the Bible says it gets down on the inside of you and it rests in your bosom. So the person, they've got a smile on their face, but right underneath the surface, there's this anger that is ready to explode, right? Um, you've probably seen this happen at some point where someone, maybe you yourself, you did something and somebody just absolutely blew up and you thought, what did I do? Well, the truth is you didn't do anything because they woke up mad and they went to bed mad. And some of them have been mad for three months, some of them for three years, and some of them for 33 years. Right? And because there's unforgiveness, there's this anger. right? And at some point, it's just going to blow up. It's going to show up. And that's why you see people react 
in situations, the reaction is totally disproportionate to what has just happened. But there's that anger. It's down on the inside. Right? In uh, the book of Esther, it's in your Bible. It's in the first portion of your, your Bible before the middle, that is. Um, there is a wicked man by the name of Haman, and he hates a Jew by the name of Mordecai. And he's, he gets put together a plan to not only kill Mordecai, but to kill all of the Jews. And his plan seems to be progressing. And he goes home, and the Bible says in Esther 5, he told them of his great riches. This guy is the second wealthiest person on the face of the planet at that time. The multitude of his children, he's got 12 kids, everything in which the, kid had, the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all of the king's servants and officials. Moreover, Haman said, besides the queen invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she had prepared in tomorrow, I am again invited along with her, with the king. Now, the next verse says this. Yet all this means nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So here he is. He's rich. He's got family. He's got fame. He's got position. He's got influence. And he says, it means nothing. I just want to see that Jew dead. Hmm. Let me tell you something. When you have unforgiveness, you don't enjoy your life. You won't enjoy your family. You won't enjoy your marriage. You won't enjoy the blessings that are in your life. When you have unforgiveness, it blinds you and you become fixated. And so often people don't even realize what's happening to them. Right. Uh, in October the 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts IV was 32 years old, drove a dairy truck for a living, lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, was married to a wonderful woman named Amy, had three young children. And if you were to drive by or even live in the neighborhood and you had looked at, at his, his life, Charles' life, you would, you would have thought, he's got a good life. Things are good, right? However, nine years earlier, when their first child was born, a little girl, she lived only for 20 minutes. She died. And Charles Roberts blamed God and got bitter at God, angry with God. Uh, the Bible says that that root of unforgiveness, it grows. Right? It grows. And in his life, that bitterness became anger, an anger that turned into rage. And remember, the Bible says eventually it springs up. Right? And it causes trouble and it defiles many. Along with his, his anger and his rage towards God, we know this from his, his journal, he had also molested two young girls when he was 12 years old, 20 years before. They were so young they had no recollection of it. But the shame that went with it had just stuck with him. So he's filled really with two deadly poisons. Shame for what he had done. He had never received forgiveness. And a rage that had come out of his unforgiveness towards God. And he decides to seek revenge against God. And he decides to do it by killing 
some innocent girls. He wrote this in his suicide note. I'm filled with so much hate towards myself and towards God. In this unimaginable emptiness, I'm angry with God and I need to punish some Christian girls so I can get even with God. So on October the 2nd, he took his guns, his rage, his shame, and he went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in the little hamlet of Nichols Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. There were, in that room, there were 25 students and one teacher. He let the boys go, but he kept the 10 girls. But he walked through that door. He had a nine millimeter pistol, a 12 gauge shotgun, a 30 six rifle, a stun gun, two knives, 600 rounds of ammunition, and a bunch of duct tape. He barricaded the door and he tied up the girls. It's believed that he let the boys go because the, the teacher had escaped and he realized the police were on the way. He said to the girls, I'm going to make you pay. He said, God killed my daughter, but I'm going to make you pay. The girls were ages six to 13. He shot all 10 of them in the head. Five of them died and five of them survived. Then he turned a gun on himself as the police showed up. His wife, Amy, was at a mother's in touch meeting at the local Presbyterian church. When the acts of tragedy went through the community, she immediately went home and tried to just isolate herself in her house. Not long later, because you might think that would be the end of the story, but it wasn't. A few hours later, a group of men from the Amish community went to Amy's house and knocked on the door. She finally answered. And they said to her, they said, we want you to know, first of all, that we have forgiven your husband. And we hold no ill will towards you. Because we want you to know that we understand that you and your children have also suffered a great loss and are suffering tremendous shame. He says, we want you to know we will help you. We'll be your neighbors. We'll be your friends. And we will help you recover. State police officer that was there just broke down and wept. He says, I'd never seen anything like it. See, the, the church is supposed to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place, nor give place to the devil. I have no doubt in my mind that when he refused to forgive, he gave devil place in his life. And that rage on the inside. Uh, many of you know, uh, when Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college, we went to Mexico. Uh, we spent our first two years in Guadalajara. We started a church. After two years, I turned it over to a national pastor. And we went and lived in an Indian village for two years. And then we went back to Guadalajara. I was teaching in a Bible college. And we were helping to start a church on the other side of town. Right? When we heard what is happening in our the first church that we had started. That one of the, the, the premier members of the church had gotten mad at the new pastor. And they had come up in front of the church after a service, started yelling at the pastor, and they cussed the pastor out, got in their car, squealed their tires down the street, and months have come and gone. And he hasn't darkened the door of the church. 
It's been nearly a year. But we're hearing him talk. He says, you know that pastor? That pastor, he's a false prophet. That pastor, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That pastor, that pastor, he's this, he's that. He's the next thing. And people tell me, and t- tell Jeannie what's going on. And uh, Jeannie said to me, she said, uh, you ought to go and see him. And I said, I don't think so. I said, I'm the ex-pastor. And there is a, there is a verse in Proverbs that says that somebody who meddles in a quarrel that's not their own is like somebody who grabs a dog by the ear and twists it. I said, I'm not getting bit. I said, I don't want anything to do with it. I am the ex-pastor. We've got enough problems with the stuff we've got. But anyway, I just couldn't shake it, and, and she couldn't forget it. Okay. So eventually, it is, it literally, it's a Sunday afternoon. And uh, I said to her, okay, okay, I'll go. I mean, I was not happy about it. She literally walked me out to the car, opened the door, put me in, and closed the car, door, door, door. door. Right? So I drive over to their house, and I park on the street in front of their house. I go up to the door, and uh, his wife answers the door. And, and I said, I, I, I came over to see your husband. She's, oh, so good to see you, Dwayne. Glad you're here. And uh, he's, up in, he's upstairs in bed. Well, it's early evening, right? And, and like in the Latin culture, you don't have dinner until like nine o'clock. And, and so I'm like, I got this look on my face, like, what's wrong? And she says, you don't know. And I said, no, what? And, and she says, uh, he has a tumor. He's going into the hospital tomorrow. And the following day, he's going to be going to have major surgery. And it's actually very life-threatening. And I said, I hadn't heard anything. She says, well, he's upstairs going up. So I go up the stairs, and uh, they're a pretty wealthy family. And he is in this huge bedroom, laying in a king-size bed. Right? And all around are people from church and his relatives. Right? There's got to be at least 25 people in the room. Right? And I came to talk to him about his issue with Pastor Javier. Well, I'm like, I ain't going to do that in front of everybody. So... I stay for probably 30 minutes. And again, in Latin culture, when you leave a room, you shake hands with everybody. Right? So I start shaking hands. I get to like the fourth, fifth person, whoever it is. And it's his nephew who attended the first church we started. And he said to me, aren't you even going to pray for him? And I thought, no. No, I'm not going to pray for him. Why would I pray for him? I mean, the Bible says, don't give place to the devil. He's full of unforgiveness and resentment and spreading strife, and it won't do any good. So you say, what did you do? I prayed for him. I mean, you got 25 people, and the guy goes, are you going to pray for him? I thought, well, I'll go over there. So I, I go over there, and I put my hand on his head, and I pray this nice little pastoral prayer. Right. He, let me just say, I knew nothing happened. He knew nothing happened. Every person there knew nothing happened. And uh, so then I keep shaking hands and dismissing myself. In the meantime, nephew runs downstairs goes to the kitchen. He shoots back up. I've probably got a half a dozen people to go. He walks over to me, and he has got like a three or four liter container of cooking oil. And he literally, he pushed it into my chest. And he says, anoint him with oil, like in the Bible in James chapter five. And I thought, oh, great. Now he's using the Bible. What am I going to do? 
because it's not going to matter. You see, when you anoint somebody with oil, they dedicate themselves to God. That's what they're supposed to do. And they're supposed to go, if there's anything I'm not doing that I should do, I'm going to do it. And if there's anything I should do that I'm not doing, I'm going to do that. So I get over to take the big thing of oil and I go over next to his bed. And, and uh, I said to him, I said, uh, I said, could it be that maybe someplace in your heart you have unforgiveness against somebody? He just looked at me and says, you know I do. And, uh, you know, I'm not very confrontational. And, uh, and, and, and I says, yeah, I've, I've heard some things. And uh, I took this scripture right here out of Ephesians 4. And I said, you know, you've given place to the devil in your life. I said, uh, do you want to be healed? Or, or do you want to go in for surgery? He said, well, I want to be healed. I said, well, f- to open the door for healing, I said, you have to forgive. And he said, I'll do it. And I said, all right. I, I talked to him a little bit about forgiveness being a feeling. And I said, I want you to just right now, right now, just close your eyes. And I want you to forgive this person. And I mentioned their name. And he said, all right. He closes his eyes. And I don't know how long you prayed. It seemed like an eternity to me. You got 25 people looking at you and you're holding a gallon of cooking oil. (laughs) And he says, I'm done. I said, all right, I'm going to pray for you. James 5, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It doesn't need to be olive oil. It can be three in one, pen's oil. Probably mobile one will work. I don't know. You know, it's synthetic, but it'll probably work. Okay. So I've got that cooking oil there. And, you know, they, they teach you how to do this in Bible college. Right? They say, just take your, your pointing finger. Just take your pointing finger. Everybody take your pointing finger. They say, just, just get a drop on your pointing finger. And then look where their eyebrows come together and go an inch higher. Just anoint them right there. All right? So if you ever go to Bible college and they say, we've got the anointing class, you just tell, I don't need it. Took it with Pastor Dwayne. Okay. So that's what you're supposed to do. I was in a bad mood. So I opened that oil and I cut my hand. You know how you make a cup in there? I just went bloop, bloop, bloop. Seriously, I did. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Put stuff down. And I went. (laughs) Now, I found out later. I did not know at the time. But the word anoint actually means to smear. So I was biblical. I was, I was covered. All right. And then I prayed. And uh, I prayed for him and, and, uh, and prayed for his healing and prayed he'd be loosed from anything that had come upon him because of his opening the door to the enemy. I shook hands to get rid of the rest of the oil, you know, and uh, <laughs> I went home. This is what they told us. They said, you were not gone from the house 45 minutes, and that tumor came out of his body. We saw him 15 years later, never had any relapse whatsoever. Now, somebody might say, wow, what a coincidence. You might believe that's a coincidence. I believe that when he refused to forgive, he opened the door for the enemy. 1 Samuel 17 is one of the best-known chapters in the Bible. David kills Goliath. The next chapter says this. It says, Saul was very angry because the people were saying, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. 
The saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands and to me, but thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So he eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that an evil spirit, it happened on the next day that an evil spirit, he opened the door through unforgiveness and an evil spirit, a distressing spirit came upon him. Now, as believers, we do have authority over those spirits, right? We need to take that authority. But when we open the door to the devil, it's got to be closed before we can get him out. We can't cooperate with Satan in unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred in our hearts and have or, or walk in authority. Now, let me, well, in fact, I'm just going to everybody stand up. I, I, I kind of went long. Now, there are four, four things that are needed when there is unforgiveness in our hearts. It's not just one thing. There are four things. And uh, I, I want to go through all four with everybody that's here that has any unforgiveness, resentment in their heart. Or if you're online, this is for you. So I'm going to ask today, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, they say, well, you'd just be so happy to hear somebody had a car wreck. If that's you, you need to come forward. If you've got ill will, you have unforgiveness, I, I want you to come forward. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to forgive. We're going to put faith with our works or, or works with our faith. All right. And we're going to break Satan's hold. Jesus in the synagogue, this is in Luke 13, there's a woman who Jesus said has been bound by Satan for 18 years. And he laid his hands on her and he said, be loosed. And she was instantly loosed. I believe that there's some of us today that there are, that there are things that are happening in our life because we have opened the door for the enemy. And we are going to close that door today. Right? It's going to be closed. And people are going to be loosed. If you want to know what a a demonic attack looks like, you look at Job's life. First, he attacked his finances. He attacked his family. He attacked his health. He attacked his marriage. Those things often come into our lives. Not always. The devil's just bad. But often because we open the door to the enemy through unforgiveness. So if you have any unforgiveness in your heart today, I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to walk through four steps. And you're going to walk out of this place free, 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 loosed and free. So if that's you, even if you're in the balcony, would you please make your way down? Unforgiveness, come on forward. Come on forward. I know this is not something that just affects a few people. The Bible says in Hebrews that many, many, and the book of Hebrews is talking to Christians. It says many are defiled. Uh, the enemy has an inroad in many people's lives because we've given him place. We've given him place. Praise the Lord. Wow. Now, everybody who's come forward, first I'm going to ask you to lift your hands, and if you're online, lift your hands. And I want you to ask God to forgive you for having had unforgiveness in your heart. It's really the first step to freedom is to receive forgiveness for having this unforgiveness in your heart. And remember, Jesus told us we're going to forgive just as we receive forgiveness. 
So you ask God to forgive you. And then whoever that person is, or it might be a, a group of people, it might be a company, it might be a family, whoever it is, forgive them. Now, it's not a feeling. You say, God, I release them. I forgive them. I, I, I stop the cycle of unforgiveness. I stop the cycle of evil and I forgive them in Jesus' name. I, I expect no recompense from, from them in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I loose them, I forgive them, and I commit them to you. Then we pray for them. In fact, Jesus said, do them good. He said, bless them. He said, pray for them. And whoever that person is or group of people, whatever it is, I want you to pray for them. Pray the blessings that you would like on your life, on their life. Ask God to grant them repentance, to escape the snare of the devil. Ask the blessing, speak blessing over them. And if you in the future have an opportunity to do them good, do them good. Jesus said, bless them, do good, pray for those, pray for those. You just keep praying for them. Now, as they're being prayed for right now in the name of the Lord Jesus, as a community of believers, we take authority over the enemy who's used unforgiveness as an open door to come into people's lives to bring sickness and disease, to bring distress and depression, to bring financial difficulties. Whatever act the enemy has come to bring, right now in Jesus' name, we bind you and we command you, loose the people of God. Loose them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. Thank you, they are loosed. They're free in Jesus' name. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.